Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paoli Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by the Reverend Dr. Robert Rafula. Wonderful, wonderful Sunday um, to hear to hear God's word. And um, it's a wonderful Sunday for several things. One, it is good weather outside. <laughs> Very nice indeed. Like I don't feel like being here. But it's better to be here because it's the presence of the Lord. That's the only reason. Otherwise, I want to be out there. Um, it is also a wonderful Sunday to be, um, to be here uh, because it's also uh, Memorial Sunday. Uh, Memorial Sunday, we remember it for two things. One is because it's the beginning of summer and who doesn't like summer? You know, after all that winter, although we didn't have much winter, but yeah, who doesn't like the summer, the beach, the travels, the holidays, the wonderful times, the graduations, the colleges to go, it's a wonderful moment. But it's also um, the moment we remember our men and women that have died to defend the freedom of this country. By their blood and by their lives, we live in a free country. We enjoy too much freedom that only comparison with other countries will remind us how privileged we are. And so it's a wonderful moment to remember those men and women and uh, to be here in the presence of the Lord. It's also Pentecost Sunday. Wonderful moment to be in the presence of the Lord. Pentecost Sunday is always celebrated by Christians. Um, it is, it's a day, 50 days after Easter, Pentecost Sunday comes, and this is the day that actually we remember the birth of the church. And we will talk about that partly in the course of the sermon, but the moment the church was well, when the disciples gathered in Jerusalem to wait for the Holy Spirit, and when it came upon them, there were people like no other. They were transformed in a manner that uh, defies words to explain. And they became messengers of God to bring the gospel, to start the church of which we are uh, the we, we, we have inherited. So let us read the word of God in this wonderful moment of all those things. Jeremiah chapter. We will read the word of God from the book of Jeremiah. Chapter 1 verse 4 to 10. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. 
But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I remind you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord puts out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up, to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. We're going to also read Acts of the Apostles, chapter 4, verse 1 to 13, the story of Peter and John. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came to them, much annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that in Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. So they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Cephas, John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick, and are being asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. This is the word of God. I bring to you in my sermon today the story of uh, three people, two, I mean three groups of people, two mentioned in the Bible, and two are from the living experience of my life. Last Sunday we were talking about the question that the disciples asked Jesus, when will the kingdom come? We are too tired. This world is too much trouble. And they knew that they're going to be persecuted much worse than what had happened to Jesus. They were afraid. They didn't want to be left in the world. 
the world had no place for Christianity. If you asked me, they probably would have asked Jesus, please take us with you and leave this world on its own. It can go to hell if it wants. You and us don't belong here. But we talked about that last Sunday, about how Jesus was adamantly, the answer to that question was no. I'm not taking you with me. I'm going to go by myself first. You're going to come, all right? But it's going to be later. Okay, how later is that going to be? He turned to them and said, the answer is in your hands. And the answer is, go out, be participants in the preaching of the gospel. When that has happened, and the gospel has gone all over the world, then I'll come back for you. And the cloud took him away. So today's question that we're going to ask and try to think about <clears throat> is exactly what the disciples thought about when they realized that Jesus was no longer there with them. The cloud has taken him away from them and there they are. They are looking at each other and ask, who are we? Who are we? And what can we do? Who are we? And what can we do? And when you read the early chapters of the book of Acts, you realize Peter leading the rest of the pack, he just said, listen, I'm going to go back fishing. That's where that Jesus took me from. Anybody willing to come with me? And yes, he had followers to go back to fishing. The, 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 the profession that Jesus took them away from. And um, we know that much later Jesus came and appeared to them when they were fishing. And he took them out of there because that's not where they belong. That's when he started talking to them about the Holy Spirit, the Pentecost. 50, 50 days later, Pentecost happened. It never left them the same. But before I come back to talk about John and the, the, the rest of the people, what happened after the Pentecost came, let's talk about a young man called Jeremiah. This is about 525 years before Jesus Christ was born. God has always demanded people to stand in for him. Before Jesus, he demanded people to stand for him. When Jesus came, Jesus collected people to stand in for him. After Jesus left, he, he advised and composed a team to stand in for him. And now, many years later, the Holy Spirit still speaks to us to stand in for God. Jeremiah's time, two, uh, 500 years before Jesus came, God meets him. He's a young man. His biblical historians say he was like about 20 years of age. Now, if he lived now, he would be just about finishing high school. Or, or just about his first or second year of college, right? 
Now, think about people in that age group. They have no money on their own. They depend on all of us, right? They have no property of their own. They don't have much influence. They are still under orders of teachers, orders of parents, and so forth and so forth. And oftentimes they keep waiting. I can't wait to leave my father's house, my parents' house, so that I can be an adult and do my adult stuff. Don't wish that too quickly. And at this point, Jeremiah realized who he was. And he told God, God, listen, I am only, I, I'm only a young man. Surely you have much older people. People who have the money. They can do the ministry of God because they have the money. People who have property. I'm just in high school. I need to concentrate on my studies. Don't you understand God? Surely you should understand. I need to build my career. I haven't even gotten a girlfriend. You don't want me to now begin looking at ministry. Come on, God. I am only a youth. I am only a youth. God understood that. God knew he was a young man. God knew he was a youth. And God was never going to let him use that excuse to get off the hook of being a servant of the Lord. God turned the ball around him and said, Jeremiah, listen to me. Before you waste my time, let me tell you who you are. Before you were born, I knew you. Before you were formed in your mother's womb. Before your parents decided to get married. I already knew you were going to be born by these parents. I knew you were going to be 20 years when I come to speak to you. And I knew you were going to be my servant. And my servant you are going to be. Case closed. Goodbye. Jeremiah looked around and knew that if God knew him before he was born, the excuse of being young was not going to hold water. And God said, and he went out and he did exactly what God had told him to do. Now, when you read the rest of the text of Jeremiah, you realize that he became one of the most vocal, powerful voices of God in the ancient world. God used him greatly to remind not only the Israelites, but also the other kingdoms that did not care about the God of Israel, about how God is going to punish them, about how God is, gonna, is in charge of history, about how God is in control, about how God is going to bring down kingdoms, and about how God is going to protect and keep his name alive in the world. And Jeremiah did. He preached. He kept talking. He was taken into captivity by the Babylonians. But he never shut up. Even there he continued to speak. 
And he spoke for God until the end of his life. Fast forward into the New Testament and we get these young people that Jesus has been teaching and training to be his disciples. He has done powerful things in their midst, but now he is going away. They are scared. Now they remember who they are, and the writer of the book of Acts is very careful to tell us exactly what this bunch of group was. The writer says they were uneducated. In terms of education in the ancient world, even in comparison to education today, you will put them in the class of people who have never been to school. They were common people. Their profession was fishing. In the ancient world, fishing wasn't a glamorous profession. They depended on seasonal waters in the Middle East. So they weren't people with means. They weren't people with a lot of money. They weren't people with influence. They weren't people that could be honored anywhere going by the categories of how we honor people in our world. And they were looking at each other and asking themselves, who am I that I can speak for Jesus? Who am I that I can be his servant? Who am I? I am only an uneducated person. I've never been to class. How do I understand all these mysteries of the kingdom and speak to other people? I am nobody in the community and the society. If I even pass around, nobody will even know that I've passed around. So how am I going to be of any use and value to anybody? But the book of Acts Chapter 4 records a wonderful, wonderful moment when the Holy Spirit came upon them. That fear, that question, that who am I, that I am only uneducated, I'm only poor, all shelled away. And they became like mighty, mighty lions, full of vigor, full of strength, full of energy. They stepped in the shoes of Jesus and powerfully proclaimed the kingdom of God. They were put into prison like this text in Acts 4 says. Hoping that they would be intimidated. They were held before senior people in society, priests, high priests, people who had influence. And they were asking them, who are you? How can, in which, which name are you preaching this? Why are you healing people? And the Peter, the one who had told people, let's go fishing, the one who had denied Jesus three times, at this point, he stands up and he says, men of Israel, priests, men of honor, leaders of Israel, let me tell you this. If you want to ask us about what we are doing, 
and in whose name? Let me be very clear. The man that you killed 50 days ago resurrected. He went to heaven. And in the name of that man, we stand to preach, to proclaim the gospel, to heal people, to bring people to the knowledge of Jesus. And let me tell you this. Whatever you do, that is up to you. But as for us, we will continue speaking about that man. We will speak the gospel. We will preach. We will tell everybody about the good news of the kingdom of God and what Jesus has done for all of us. And they did at the very cost of their own lives. Salvation came at the cost of not only the life of Jesus, but it came at the cost of many, many men and women too that stood in the cup of God to preach the gospel. And we have become the benefactors, the inheritors of that legacy, that inheritance, wealth of inheritance of God's knowledge and wisdom. We sit here, we can read the Bible because there were people who protected this word from being burned forever. They hid the passages in caves and even when they had died, they prayed that somebody will find it and write it into what we have today. And men and women found these scriptures scattered all over the Middle East in caves and in like underground parrot places without even the modern um, instruments of archaeology. They found it. it. Most of the scrolls were tattered, but by the Holy Spirit, they were able to piece it together. They were able to know what God wanted and what God had said. And so we have the word of God today. Now, you may be asking this question, just like the disciples, just like Jeremiah, you may be saying this to yourself. And I think I find that always a default of all of us. We always default to that mode when required to do something. I am only this and that. I'm only young, a student in school. I'm very busy with my work. Full-time job, maybe two jobs, or a job that requires a lot of traveling. I have no time for God. I'm too old. I can't walk. I can't speak well. I need to attend to my own age-related problems. I have issues in my marriage. I have problems with my children. I am only this or that. Let's fill in the blank. Who are you? What often comes as your default when it comes to participating in the kingdom of God? Let me finish quickly by telling you the story of one woman, my grandmother. God bless her soul. She passed away a couple of years ago. My grandmother had a lot of odds against her. She never went to school. The Kenya of her time 
In the 40s and 50s, girls were never sent to school. When schools had just, missionary schools had begun, people only sent boys. Girls were prepared to get married, were prepared to get married, give birth to children, and that was the end of the story. And so she never went to school. All she knew about Christianity and about God was what she had her pastor speak every Sunday. But she took it to heart. She took it very personally. She took it as though God was speaking to her. She internalized it. She became a Christian and became very good at it. Second problem, when she got married, she is the first wife of my grandfather and she never, unfortunately, had children of her own. And so my grandfather ended up marrying two other wives. And in that scenario, in that particular mix of things, she was always looked at as the old woman, woman with some like evil spirits. How come you couldn't have children of your own? In a culture that adored and wanted children, her co-wives hated her. They spoke ill of her. They made fun of her. In a culture that wanted adult children, she had no child. And so, with all these odds stacked against her, no education, no uh, proper marital status, and no place of her own, to be honest, uh, that she could call home because she was always in a position that she could be sent away anytime. But my grandmother was a woman of great virtue. She had this compassion and love that is just beyond measure. My grandfather was, uh, was an alcoholic, so he drank all the time. Now, whenever he would come home stumbling and fall out in the compound, there are three houses of my grandmother's. My grandmother was always the only one who would go out and bring her husband into the house. He would change his clothes. He would give him food even in the middle of the night. And do all those good things for him. He wasn't a Christian. And finally, my grandmother woke up every 5 a.m. I lived with her five years of my time. Five years of my life I went to live with her. And for the five years, every morning, 5 a.m., she woke up to pray. Pray for herself. Pray for her husband. Pray for her co-wives. Pray for us, all of us. Now, to jump the story forward, when her husband was dying, just the day he died, actually, he called her in. So he asked the two other wives to get out of the house, and he called her in, and he held her hand. That's what she told us, because we were not in that room. She, he sent out everybody. And he said to her, Rispa, Rispa was the name, was her name. Rispa, 
I, am about, I think I'm about to die. And I have no idea where I'm going. Can you please pray for me? That God may forgive me all of my sins. And Rispa smiled, looked at him, and prayed for him. Prayed for him, asked God to forgive him. And he looked at, opened his eyes and looked at her and said, Rispa, if God was ever going to give me another chance to marry in the, in the world, next world, I will marry you alone. And he smiled and she held her hand and, she, and he died right there. That was it. He passed on. What a wonderful story. When my grandmother came out and told us, we were like, wow, what a wonderful story. She was always good. She was always kind. And she spoke the gospel to this man without taking the Bible to him. She was just kind. She was just nice. She did everything that any good person would do. She prayed for him. And she took her part in bringing her husband to know the Lord. I want to finish by encouraging all of us. Do not ever imagine that you are nothing in the kingdom of God, in the economy of the kingdom of God. Do not ever imagine that there is no space for you to do something. God has a lot of things we all can do to bring people to the knowledge of God. And may God help you and teach all of us to remember our space in bringing the kingdom of God to the rest of the world. Amen. Father, in the name of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for this moment that you have given us the moment to be your servants, the moment to take part in preaching the gospel. It's our time. Others have taken their place. And I pray, Lord, that you help us. Look at us. Look at ourselves. And look at the energy, the resources, the talents we have. And help us as the Holy Spirit comes upon us to be able to take our place in the kingdom of God. Thank you for all that you provide to us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. And thank you, Lord, for calling us to be your servants here at Peoli Presbyterian Church and around the world. Lord, we're going to pray even as we remember you teaching us the Lord's Prayer saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On others in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have been temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Amen.